Hello and welcome to the Crypto Masters Podcast, helping the general public to master an understanding of crypto assets. My name is Brian McCoy. And my name is Ross Eaton. And we are the The Crypto Crypto Masters. let's get started. Our goal here is to provide information about crypto assets to help the public to make investment decisions in the crypto space. We don't try to predict short-term price movements, so this show is not for short-term traders. And we provide information about different crypto assets to allow you, the listener, to make your own investment decisions. And big disclaimer here, this is not financial advice. Not financial advice. All right, let's give our listeners a brief summary of our backgrounds because we bring different experiences and skill sets into the crypto world. My background is in law. I've been a practicing lawyer for many years and also as a hedge fund manager. I've co-managed a Frontiers Markets hedge fund for almost 20 years. So my background is in investing and in equities. Very exciting, Brian. And um, I have a degree in computer science. Uh, I've been in software uh, development roles, uh, IT roles for about six years now, currently a data analyst. Um, So I'm kind of bringing that um, technical aspect to this crypto masters approach. And, um, you know, hopefully in the future, I'll have some blockchain um, and smart contract development experience to share with everyone here. And Ross, I think we probably should add now that we both now have years of uh, experience investing in crypto assets. Um, You've done uh, some mining of different cryptos. Um, So we're not newbies to the crypto space either. Yes, yes. We're definitely investing in crypto and currently have some. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, we, you know, those are our different backgrounds and skill sets. And we hope that combination uh, can be useful. This is a redo of our first show. Um, We weren't happy with the sound quality, and um, we just wanted to redo it. It's on Bitcoin, obviously, the obvious place to begin. Um, So we're starting off with Bitcoin. Yeah, someone didn't know how to work um, audio equipment, camera, (laughs) lighting, stuff like that. That someone was me. So Uh, So it's gotten better. (laughs) Yeah, you just, you know, we we started out from... um, from you had to do a first show and that was it and so we just weren't happy with it and let's get started with uh with redoing it um so we we got a lot of ground to cover we'll go ahead and jump in um just as another disclaimer we can't possibly cover all of the information about about bitcoin in one podcast we're going to try to cover what we think are the important aspects of bitcoin and blockchain let's do it brian all right I'll get started with a little bit of background on Bitcoin, and then, Ross, you jump in with more of the technical aspects and the mining aspects. Bitcoin began in November of 2008 when a person named Satoshi Nakamoto released a white paper titled Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system, describing a new digital currency. Now, Satoshi Nakamoto was not this person's real name. The true identity remains unknown, and as I've said, is truly one of the great mysteries of our time. Um, poetic, some, Brian. Poetic. Someone who who 
um, came up with such a uh, important um, new, you know, change to the way things were done, and no one knows his real identity. That is really interesting. In January of 2009, the code was released, and the first Bitcoins were mined. So this digital currency was designed to correct some of the problems that attempted digital currencies had incurred before Bitcoin. Bitcoin wasn't the first attempt, but it was really the first successful attempt. Mm -hmm. And it allows Bitcoin currency to be transferred between parties without a trusted intermediary, such as a central bank or a more normal bank. Absolutely. And that is a perfect segue, Brian, into this next point, which is decentralization. Um, this is the main feature of Bitcoin. Uh, it ex- it's extremely important. Um, and that means, you know, kind of as Brian said, there's no one government, company, person, entity, organization that controls Bitcoin. It, it's done by the public and anyone can participate. And that means you and us, <laughs> yes. which we do. So you mentioned <laughs> the decentralization. You know, that's one thing we get across here in this first episode, it is that uh, decentralization is a key aspect of crypto. Yeah, and that that's something we bring up every time we bring up a new crypto asset is, uh, is it decentralized and how decentralized is it? That we see that as a, a yep. huge benefit and something we like to see in projects. All right, Ross, why don't you start us off about blockchain, another important concept that Bitcoin started. Yeah, blockchain... Um, it's a it's a hot word right now in Bitcoin. No, it, it's the main feature. It's 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 another main feature. Decentralization and blockchain goes hand in hand, and um, most people have heard of blockchain. Um, and Bitcoin is really the the first real world application of it. Um, it's essentially a data structure. Um, just to kind of generalize that out there, but Bitcoin blockchain is a public ledger, uh, and that means that all Bitcoin transactions are available to the public. Um, Encryption and private keys are used. So, you know, you can see transactions, but it doesn't say, you know, Ross sent one Bitcoin to Brian. Um, That's kind of hidden um, in layers of encryption and using private keys and stuff like that. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, But all transactions are public. Um, And... um, which is thousands of copies of the same program. Um, wait, let me back up here. But all transactions are published on the blockchain. I read published as public. So all transactions are published on the blockchain. And that's just confirming all the transactions. And this is why it's decentralized. Instead of a single entity like a bank keeping track of the transactions, it's the members of the, the Bitcoin community. And anyone can be a member by downloading the software and participating as a node operator. And this is where, you know, we want to make the distinction between um, a node operator is different from a miner. A node operator really just confirms the transactions where a miner processes those transactions. You'll mention a little bit more about mining, I think, later. Yep, mining comes up in a little bit. Um, But yeah, this community um, participation is also a main aspect of the security of the system because... The community verifies thousands of copies of transactions um, if something doesn't match, like a attempted fraudulent transaction. So I could try to fake that, you know, Brian sent me three Bitcoin and, you know, a node operator would say, you know, that's not 
matching up here. Um, so that's just rejected. Um, and this is called a consensus, and it's an important part of the the Bitcoin system. All right. So new blocks are added every to the chain every 10 minutes, and a block is just a bundle of transactions that have occurred in that 10-minute span, roughly 10 minutes. All of those transactions are then compiled. The new Bitcoins are added as part of that transaction. This kind of gets into the mining. And then the hash of the previous block is included, and a nonce is added, which is just a function which is used for the puzzle-solving aspect of mining. So that's just what goes into every block on the blockchain. And before we explain the winning miner that I just mentioned, let me talk about the hash and the nonce. So this is, you know, getting a little bit technical about how blockchain mm -hmm. works, but I also think it's important for people to know because they just hear about, oh, you know, uh, a puzzle is used to mine. What does that mean? We're going to try to just give you a really brief explanation of how that actually works. So a hash and nonce, um, the hash is a, crypt is a cryptographic process that takes almost any data as input and it creates a seemingly random output, which is just a string of numbers and letters. So Bitcoin uses what's called the SHA-256 protocol, and that's SHA-256. And you can see this in action for yourself uh, by going to a website. You can just search SHA-256 hash calculator. And I say this because it shows how this works, and it's very interesting. You can put in anything as the input. It can be the word hello, or it can be the entire text of um, War and Peace. And you get the same type of output, which is just this characters that, to, uh, numbers and, and letters and characters that total um, two, 256 bits. I, it, seems to me it's normally around 65, the string's around 65 characters long. But it's just random. And if you change any aspect of that at all, so you just take out one period, you get an entirely different hash. So that, mm -hmm. and the reason I think that's important is the, the concepts used in this blockchain utilize that for the security purposes. Because if you, if anyone alters Anyone, I mean, anything, like I said, even taking out a period or a space or changing, you know, the letter A to letter B, you get a totally different hash. Mm -hmm. And since the blockchain, every block is a hash of the previous block, nothing prior can ever be changed without everyone knowing it. So that's oh, yeah. part of the security aspect of, of the blockchain. And that's, that's where the, um, you know, cryptocurrency comes from. It's a cryptographic hash. So it's encrypted it's you know obviously brian says you change a period and it completely scrambles so that's you know just to let you know that's where the cryptocurrency yeah and i find it not you know i'm not a, i'm not a cryptologist at all but you know i find that very interesting when i first learned it yeah absolutely so talk about the winning miner ross the winning miner so um and just let me quickly back up for a second so when if you search for something on google just explaining how miners work in this system you know, if you search for something on Google, they've got a data center that comes in, um, that transaction or that process, you know, is then fed into their servers. And you almost have like a, um, a controller that says, okay, this server takes care of this transaction. Maybe it's a server local to you or close to you, so it's more efficient. So in the Bitcoin network, you know, we have all these miners basically competing 
uh, for that transaction. Um, so now let me get into that. So the winning miner gets to add the block to the blockchain and gets to claim the new Bitcoins that were added to the block. The, the hashing that was discussed above is used again for the mining aspect of Bitcoin. Uh, the miners use high-powered computers, I mean really high-powered <laughs> computers, uh, to run programs that change the knots to try to find a number that solves the required puzzle. Um, essentially, it means finding a hash output that starts with a particular number of zeros, depending on the level of difficulty, and the difficulty is adjusted every two weeks. Um, that on average, um, that average puzzle is solved in every 10 minutes so they kind of you know adjust the difficulty so if the you know computers are getting faster and faster every day obviously so if the average uh, puzzle solved is um, decreasing they'll make it more they will make it harder and vice versa um, yep. so that I, I think that's a good explanation of you know why this is needed in the bitcoin system they're you know miners are kind of essentially competing with each other yeah, to solve that block, and and that's interesting as well because you, you, it, these solving of the puzzle is finding a uh, a, a uh, an output that starts with a certain number of zeros. And I got on one of those websites the other day and tried just changing you know things here and there, and it took me a long time to even come up with two zeros. And I think a lot of times you know the puzzle, depending on the difficulty, is seven or eight or nine. I don't even know, but anyway, yeah, it gets. And that's why the, the power is required because the faster you change that nonce to, to try to find one that solves it, you know, the, more, the better your chances are. And just to touch on another thing you said is the difficulty mining, um, the difficulty adjustment is a key aspect of, of, of Satoshi's whole plan. Um, it, it, it encourages people to get back in when, when the, the hash rate goes down, when when people aren't doing as much, you know, it, it, your chances will go up. Oh, I'm going to get in. Um, mm -hmm. So that has had a very profound impact on the success of Bitcoin. Okay, yeah. so let's talk reward and the having. So from 2009, when it started until November of 2012, the reward was 50 Bitcoins. Fantastic, right? And then in November of 2012. That's pretty darn good. <laughs> it, it is by today's value. Back then, they weren't worth so much. So again, it shows the genius of the plan. Uh -huh. In November of 2012, the first halving occurred, and so the reward was reduced to 25 Bitcoins. The second ha uh, halving occurred in July of 2016, which lowered the reward to 12.5 Bitcoins. The third halving occurred in May of 2020, so the reward in current, as of this broadcast, is uh, 2.6.25 um, Bitcoins. And the next halving is expected to be, it's, it's not an exact time, um, in the spring of 2024, when it'll go down to 3.125. So right now, the Bitcoin reward in every new block is 6.25 Bitcoins. So let's talk yeah. about another important aspect, very important aspect, and that is the supply of Bitcoins. Yeah. There will only be a total of 21 million Bitcoins ever released. And um, it's done, as we said, on this halving schedule. Um, and pursuant to that having schedule, there's now more than 18 million in circulation. Um, a large number of those have already been lost. So there's already 90% oh, yeah. already in circulation. Um, and, and it's going to continue to be released just by these smaller 
amounts after each halvening. And so this is how we get to the scarcity aspect of Bitcoin, which is a very important feature. Oh, yeah. And you can say Bitcoin is, you know, deflationary with people, you know, losing their wallets. I think we may mention uh, the Bitcoin um, or there's a guy in the news, you know, that lost his Bitcoin wallet password. So, you know, I'm betting he's going to lose whatever's in there at this point. Right. Um, but yeah, so now we come to the question. So why own Bitcoin? Um, well, you can use it for uh, transactions. You can buy things with it. Um, but not a lot because the transaction takes some time to take some time to confirm and its main use is really as a store of value. Um, so that's like gold, but without all the problems of, with storing and, um, transporting, you know, the physical gold, um, you know, the actual gold, gold bars. Um, and that, this is really why it's called the digital gold because it's, you know, this digital store of value more so. Yeah. So. Um, and that's important. I mean, and let's, you know, to be honest, this is probably a diversion from Satoshi's original vision because he called it a peer to peer cryptocurrency and, and it is used and it can be used. You can buy things with Bitcoin. But as we mentioned, the transaction speed is slow at, you know, 10 minutes and then maybe even longer if you need multiple confirmations. It's just too slow for a lot of day-to-day -day transactions. So it's really taken off as a store of value. And what, what that means is if you think mm -hmm. about why gold is used, why people buy gold, um, it, it's because it tends to hold its value, whereas fiat currency like U.S. dollars or the euro or the yen can lose their value because uh, central banks can and do print more and more of those currencies. And, and we've seen that here. We're now doing this uh, redo of this podcast after the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And as we know, in response to that, did, uh, central banks have printed a tremendous amount of new currencies. And that necessarily has a value of devaluing the existing um, amount of those fiat currencies. So, oh yeah, and in a way, we're kind of privileged, Brian, to be in the U.S. and have the dollar. But you know, as we know, in other countries, especially Venezuela, I mean, they have some crazy def or uh, inflationary um, yeah. aspects. So, mean, so thousands of percent. Right. You you have those countries that that are just having tremendous problem with inflation, but now we're seeing even with the more stable fiat currencies like U.S. dollar and euro, all this unprecedented money printing has occurred. And many people think that's going to have consequences. Um, and those consequences are going to, you know, be inflation and devaluing of those currencies. And Bitcoin is seen as a solution to that. As we said, 90% of all the Bitcoin that, that will ever exist have already, already been issued. So you know what you're getting with Bitcoin. It's a capped amount. Fiat currencies yeah. have no cap, and there's the attraction for Bitcoin. Absolutely. Um, so now, uh, let's briefly discuss some, as we see, significant developments uh, with respect to Bitcoin. Um, so first one I'd like to mention is there is the Lightning Network. Now, this is not a part of Bitcoin. Um, it is as we say, a layer two network that sits um, on top of or beside or below of Bitcoin <laughs> to greatly increase the speed of transactions. 
and it has its own nodes, its own software, its own network, but you know, it interacts with the main chain of Bitcoin. Um, I don't want to get too into detail on how it works, um, but you know, in this episode, but it's very high level, um, at its very high level, uh, it handles very small transactions uh, between two parties off chain and then writes them onto the main blockchain at a later date. So uh, as an example, you know, me and Brian, maybe we go on a, a bro golf trip and, uh, you know, I, I Venmo Brian for um, this and that. You know, I bought dinner one night, um, you know, me and Brian kind of opened. I already said, I don't know why I said Venmo. That's just in my head right now. But um, we open up kind of a, a a channel between us to kind of transact between us over the weekend so we don't have to wait, you know, and write that to the main blockchain. And then at a later date, we kind of bundle all those transactions over our weekend and write that to the main chain. Um, so as you can see, um, you know, you're probably asking yourself, why is the Lightning Network needed? And it's it's speed, it's scalability, it helps Bitcoin scale. And just to give it a reference why this is such a big deal, Bitcoin handles about tre- seven transactions a second. Um, so that's not very scalable. And you're going to see big delays. Um, you know, in comparison, Visa handles roughly 7,000 transactions a day. So... Uh, I think the a lightning second. <laughs> a second, not a day. Yeah, yeah, it's seven thousand transactions a second every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there you go. There we go. Thank you, Brian. Um, but you can see why this is such a big deal and why I kind of wanted to mention the Lightning Network. To you know, it's something on top that helps Bitcoin scale and helps with that scalability speed of transaction. Yeah, no, that was definitely worth mentioning. We don't want to leave the impression that Bitcoin is not usable. Um, because of the, oh, the slowness yeah. of transactions. So that was worth another upgrade. I want to mention Ross, it hasn't happened yet, but it looks like it will. Um, when we're recording this, it'll be a software called taproot. And it ha- like I said, it hadn't passed yet because passing a soft forks, a change like that is very difficult. I, I, I make the analogy to passing a constitutional amendment in the U S yeah, you, you uh-huh. don't make it easy because you want it to be a rare thing. And, and it is, so it's intentionally very difficult, but if taproot passes, it will be the first significant upgrade since Segwit in um, August of 2017 Segwit allowed for an increased block capacity of Bitcoin. And if it's implemented, it will only alter two lines of the Bitcoin code, but it will allow a new signature scheme, which will allow basic basic smart contract function and allow for my more privacy. Now, it's not going to be a smart contract competitor to Ethereum or, or Cardano or EOS or any of those, mm-hmm. but it will um, give a little bit more functionality to Bitcoin. And so a lot of people uh, are excited um, about that. Yeah, and just to piggyback off you for a second, Brian, anytime you hear the word forks, that being soft fork or hard fork, just think of a change in the code. And that, you know, forks can happen on, you know, other coins as well. But anytime you hear fork, it's just a change in the software, as Brian fully mentioned with Taproot. There. All right. So maybe we go back to the basics and tell people how they buy it. You know, how do you buy Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah. That's a huge thing now. You're just like, wow, Ross and Brian, you've sold me. This sounds cool. How do I get my hands on some Bitcoins? So um, the first thing you need to do is get set up on an exchange and you know, just a fair warning, this involves verifying your identity. So sometimes you have to take a picture of your passport or your 
driver's license. Um, but this is part of that know your customer aspect. So, you know, you can report your taxes and not hide from the government. And um, same as opening a bank account. Exactly, yeah. Opening a bank account, um, dealing with stocks, you're going to go through the same thing. Um, but, yeah, and then the next part is linking your bank account to this exchange. Um and, and just to back up for a second, verifying your identity can take some time. I've seen some friends, you know, that uh, say they've been waiting a week to verify their identity for an exchange. So just a fair warning. Um, but the next part is linking your bank account. So, you know, a way for you to put your U.S. dollars, your cash, whatever your local currency is onto the exchange. So once you link your bank account, you load it onto the exchange and then you exchange that currency for Bitcoin. And from there, you can exchange from other currencies as well. Um, but from there, if the exchange allows you to have your own wallet, which most do, um, you can exchange or, sorry, you can send and transact with other users or other wallets, essentially. So I can send my my Bitcoins from my wallet to Brian's wallet. And when you hear wallet, it's essentially your Bitcoin account. Um, I, I think that's a good summary of it um so um oh yes this is a key point i want to make when you're getting on the exchange and setting up your wallet you will get a secure or secret phrase you want to make sure you write that down because the exchange doesn't save it no one else saves it if you lose your secret phrase your secret password you are um you're out of luck your wallet is gone and you will lose everything. So that's just a fair warning there. Yeah, but to, let's let's distinguish. So I don't uh, when you open an account, let's say on Coinbase, mm -hmm. you don't you don't get a secret phrase. It's only when you want to take the whatever you got bought from Coinbase and want to put it in your own wallet, and then the, it's for that wallet that you have to do the secret phrase. Absolutely, yes. Okay. It's not just uh, you know you setting up the exchange. I'm when you have an exchange that allows you to have your own wallet and you're setting up your wallet. Yeah. You have to write that down. So thank you. Thank you for that. Brian. Yeah. yeah. No, I just yeah. didn't want anybody to say, Oh, I, I set up an account and didn't get, have to do a secret phrase. That's when no. you do your own wallet where you can take it off the exchange. Yeah. Your password for the exchange to log on there. You know, if you lose that, you'll, you'll be able to log back in. You you're call right. customer support. So there you thank go. you for that distinction here. All right. Um, so let, name a few of the common ones that, in case somebody just wants to know, where should I go? Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of places to buy Bitcoin um, right now. Uh, the main ones, uh, just to name a few, Coinbase, eToro, Gemini, BlockFi, Kraken, Robinhood, Crypto.com, Binance, and even now you can buy it on PayPal and Venmo. Um, but really, if you're on a crypto exchange... They're going to have Bitcoin for you to buy. That is the number one. They all have Bitcoin. Yes. You yes. don't have to worry about that. We talk about this every show because on some other crypto assets, it's not as easy. They, they don't all, all exchanges don't have all crypto assets on them, but they do all have Bitcoin. I've never seen one without Bitcoin. Exactly. So, so yeah. bottom line is if you find an exchange that you can get on, it will have a Bitcoin not just uh, FYI to American citizens, we can't get on all exchanges, but there are plenty of exchanges we can get on. And the ones Ross just mentioned, some of the big ones are Coinbase and Kraken and Gemini. Mm -hmm. um, so U.S. citizens can get on that. Binance is a huge exchange, but U.S. citizens can't get, are not allowed on that. Although they do have a Binance 
U.S., which yes. is a different exchange, uh-huh. but it doesn't have as many currencies. But that's anyways easy to get easy to buy Bitcoin if you get it on exchange. Absolutely. All right. So we normally then we go to final thoughts on all of our crypto assets on this one. Um, it's Bitcoin. It's it's numero uno. It's the big one. Yeah. We will keep it very brief. Um, I I'll speak for myself. You can say the same, Ross. So my final thoughts are, yes, I own Bitcoin. I own a lot, a lot of Bitcoin by my standards, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I found a way to get some for my retirement account. Um, I'm a believer in Bitcoin. It, it's, um, you know, like we said, we're having these problems with fiat currency, with all the money printing. Bitcoin is the best store of value, in my opinion, even though there is some, um, it, you know, the prices go up and down. Um, no question about that. But I, I think it's superior to gold. I think in the long run, it'll do better than gold. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I am um, I am into Bitcoin. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, there, there's no question about it. We are both very into Bitcoin. I own some as well. And it really, we'll talk about this too, um, kind of the tokenomic aspects of Bitcoin and other um, crypto assets. But it's got that limit, limited supply. It's deflationary in nature. Um, and it's decentralized. Uh, I think that it checks all the boxes for me. Those are the ones I like to see when looking at other crypto assets. And yeah, Bitcoin is... Uh, the digital gold in my eyes. It is. Now, that being said, um, it's not the only crypto asset that I that I would hold or that I would recommend. I, I think it serves its function very well as a store of value. Um, but there are other crypto assets, you know, see our other podcasts yes. that do a lot of different other things that Bitcoin can't do, isn't designed to do, doesn't want to do. So um, even though Bitcoin is definitely something we own, it's not the only one. Absolutely. There's more to cryptocurrency than just of store of value. And on that note, check out our other uh, podcasts and we will wrap up uh, episode one redo. We're the Crypto Masters. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody.